you have to find product market fit. And yeah. I think a lot of products have been built in Web3 that just didn't get users or developer traction, et cetera. It's when you know you're fixing a problem when you have the problem yourself. It's one of the best ways. <laughs> it's decentralization is important for a lot of reasons. You have a lot more scalability. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining the Behind Company Lines podcast. Today we have Jack O'Halloran, CEO of Scale Labs, the fastest blockchain network with zero gas fees for users. Jack, I'm so excited to chat with you, not only because of the work you're doing on at scale and, and really excited about where that ecosystem is going and the network and in particular how you're doing it, which is I, I think super exciting. And we'll get into how your network is, is a little bit different than most and how you're able to actually accomplish what, what you're setting out to, but also your, your experience building companies and, and it's not your first rodeo and, and you really had a successful um, stint in your first company. So wanted to dive into that and the changes that you've seen over the years. So before we get ahead of ourselves and scale and all this whirlwind, what were you doing before you started scale and what kind of was the inspiration behind the company? Yeah. So I've been doing tech startups since 2005. Yeah. I started in mobile and mobile slash cryptography. It was a mobile security application company called Good Technology. And did that for a while and then started a machine learning AI company and did that for about nine years where almost every large pharma and biotech in the world use this product. And so, so really cut my teeth in terms of being uh -huh. a founder and company building in traditional enterprise software, B2B software. And that was, I learned a lot about deep tech and in the process, just got really interested in first in Bitcoin, then in Ethereum. And yeah. then when I was starting my next company in 2017, it was I literally could do nothing else because I was spending all my time reading and learning about blockchain and was completely yeah. inspired. Yeah, it was fascinating thinking about the times where you built those those previous companies. Thinking about mobile back in 2005 was really just gaining traction. I, I don't think that the iPhone hadn't come out at that time, right? I think the iPhone came around with 2007, 2008, something like that. What was mobile building in mobile like at that time? What were you seeing? In terms, were you seeing that it was going to be widely adopted before you started working yeah. in it? What, what in particular made you decide that? I, so I, I just, I think I got really lucky that got it. There's a really fat, I, I didn't start this first company. It was, I, I joined this startup called Good and mm -hmm. just was fortunate to, I think I saw that mobile was going to be massive. I saw yeah. it, it used to be the separate industry and now mobile is just a piece of everything, right? And mobile's yeah. infrastructure that drives every type of application and every type of use case. So. I saw that happening, but mobile was not very good back then. It was yeah. pre-iPhone, everything was Blackberries, and then, or we competed with Blackberry and we were the a, like enterprise email client that could run on a whole, every, basically every other phone on Palm Trios yeah. and Nokias and Windows smartphones and all the like pre-era iPhone yeah. phones. Yeah. And what was that like thinking about having that opposition to a, a big player like Blackberry? I, I could see it just creating a lot of like creativity within how to widely adopt and, and, and add value to a customer base with a new product. And has that kind of carried on thinking about the adoption of Web3 and, and how to, that's kind of, is there any similarities there? Yeah, my kind of, the biggest similarity to me is, is just the adoption curve. So everyone, I think more people, well, there are still people that didn't think mobile was going to go anywhere. Like, oh, you can't yeah. do anything yeah. on a mobile device. Yeah. You're just never going to be fast enough. The devices won't have good enough battery life. And there's just all these mobile haters, just like there's Web3 and crypto haters. Yeah. And and the, the reality was the user experience sucked for everything other than email. And email was really yeah. easy because you could just store everything locally and 
back it up in servers. And then it, you just had to, the technical requirement was just sending a message. Mm. It wasn't that complicated. And so you could have a good UX and it could be asynchronous. It didn't have to be like instant, but Hey, if you wanted to like, imagine if you wanted to play a video game, like a supercell game with all these people that's in yeah. real time playing the same game, like it would be just, it was unimaginable that you would be yeah. able to do that in 2005 and 2006 and 2007. Yeah. And right now in blockchain, people are, are saying, oh, well, it's just too slow and it's too expensive. There's no way these things will ever improve and the wallets and the UX and and the reality like, is that all of these problems are being fixed now. It just, it's yeah. like deja vu. And I'm seeing the, the light at the end of the tunnel, just like I did before. And I think we're, 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 we're getting really close. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously I, we're on the crux of letting this conversation go just so deep into what you're doing and, and, and how there is this kind of another founder, I think from block native mentioned, it's like, I've seen this movie before and all the pieces are there and it's really just following the same evolution, but, but learning from previous mistakes. But just thinking about like your experience building an ML company at the time you did it, it wasn't as popular as AI and ML are today with ChatGPT and all these other companies, Open OpenAI. But what in particular did you see in terms of its applicability at the time? And, and did you see that it was going to turn into something that it is today? One of the, the biggest values of blockchain and smart contracts is just mm -hmm. you can create different types of business entities and business models. Yeah. Okay? Like, yeah. It's really cool tech and chat GBT as I'm a huge user and fan of the, but worked in machine learning for a really long time. Yeah. But what I, and that it'll be fully complementary with everything happening in blockchain. The thing about blockchain it, it, that inspired me is that you can have different types of business models. You can have yeah. businesses that are user owned. You can have, it's almost co-ops. You can have full ownership of assets, yeah. transparency of currency, instant sending of and so of, of, of money, programmable money. So all of these features, technical features are really important, but at the end of the day, the implication is that you can have these new structures. And I think we're just starting to see that come alive in the NFT communities yeah. and gaming guilds, gaming communities, gaming DAOs, and yeah. obviously in, in protocols that in blockchains where there's real voting and validators and delegators and people involved in the network are, are co-owning these things. But yeah. Eventually, we want to see applications being decentralized at the same level, but the user need, needs to have it to be actually able to see the immediate value yeah. without yeah. having the UX friction. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thinking about running a company, and especially within the Web3 ecosystem, how is it different from building and how is it similar being that do you have to start with a singular product like you did and, and then bring people into the community, into the network, or... Do you start with the community and identify what you needed to build? What was the kind of, what's similar, what's different than, than building companies that you did prior? I think at the end of the day, like, well, this, this is lost on a lot of blockchain projects is, yeah. you know, you have to find product market fit. Okay. And yeah. I think a lot of products have been built in Web3 that just didn't get users or developer traction, et cetera. Yeah. And, and we really took an approach of same that we, you would take in Web2 of, of understanding users, understanding needs, understanding requirements. So we actually were building scale based off our own needs because I was trying to build a DAP. And so was my co-founder Stan. And that's how we met. And yeah. you know, we both had this infrastructure and middleware background. And so we ended up doing this and trying to then ha help applications. So that yeah. was really our, that's when you know you you're fixing a problem when you have the problem yourself. It's one of the best ways. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also a great way to identify the starting point, but thinking about where it evolved from that point on, did you... 
was the original idea to create this network that then could really enable these developers to be able to build apps more, more quickly, more readily, give them a little bit more broadcasting ability. Was that the original idea or, or did that take some time to identify, okay, this is where the biggest friction point in, in getting deliverable apps, this is where we're going to start. Yeah. You know what? It, it, it really, we believed in Ethereum and the power yeah. of Ethereum, but we, this is before the term layer two existed. So we wanted yeah. to help people building on Ethereum, but we also didn't want to sacrifice decentralization. And so for us, it was just a matter of saying, Hey, what is the best model to help Ethereum applications? Like we wanted to build Ethereum applications. How can we make those faster, easier to use? How can we make it so yeah. non-technical users can use these, these apps? Cause I think that's an angle and approach a lot of people still just don't think about. They're so focused on just security or just yeah. decentralization that they forgot about, like, what's the point of building something if only 10,000 people can use it? You know what I mean? You need something that's accessible to lots of people, to millions of people, hundreds of millions. Yeah. Of people. Uh, yeah. And, what's, it's, and from my knowledge of the product, you've kind of created this amazing way that the nodes kind of, when you're using the applications, they kind of take on some of the computing power that's a little bit more localized to the app, and then they interchange themselves for security purposes. So no one node stays consistently running someone's application. And that was just mind blowing to me in terms of it's not necessarily creating any new resource or material, but just really organizing, distributing which ones are taking on, say, a bulk of that compute and, and for what time. Am I describing the app correctly? And, and what in particular, is there a pre-existing model out there that, that helped you move in this direction? It just seems so simple, but, but actually, actually solves the problem rather than trying to create some new yeah, infrastructure. You know what? It's, yeah. I think we took this approach that why should the end user have to pay gas? And then we had to do a lot of innovation and, and really engineering work to make that viable because you can have gas fees that are subsidized. But the problem is if your consensus model is, is built on paying validators per transaction, yeah. it's really difficult to have the unit economics ever get to a point that makes sense. Yeah. And so for us, like we needed to have a few things like we needed to. So in, for those listening, I'll try to describe this in a different way. First, we wanted to make it so application developers or companies or DAOs or communities could pay for gas fees in advance instead of end users paying for gas fees. Okay. Yeah. And so. The best way to do that, we're like, great, they need, you need to pay for it in advance. But instead of having to pay for a transaction, what people are paying for is actually compute space that mm. could do, they could use it to do hardly any transactions or a lot. They're going to pay the same amount. And so then the, I guess the load balancing or the resource allocation piece is not about, okay, who gets each piece of each block? It's which application gets which amount of space in the network. And that is something that's elastic. Then all of a sudden oh. you don't have a confined amount. If you have a confined amount, like a traditional blockchain, and you need to charge per transaction, well, there's not much flexibility there. So we had to really think outside the box and say, oh, we need linear scalability. We need lots yeah. of chains that can work together and share security. But how can you do that and have shared security and not have other issues like, like fragmented liquidity and how do you, and poor user experience. So there was just so many challenges, but that's one of the reasons why it took a long time for, for us and all the open source devs that collaborated to build this. Yeah. Well, it's amazing to think about what it can help deliver and please share with the audience what that allows these application developers or companies or whatever, what does it allow them to do 
And, and what is your hypothesis for, or your bet, I guess, on, on what your technology is going to have in terms of not only its immediate effect, but long-term? Yeah, we, we, our feeling was, where is the, where's our sweet spot? And it's high volume transactions. If we can help people that if you are a DeFi project and you have 10,000 users and they're trading hundred billion or, or hundred million in volume a day, like they don't care about gas fees, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but yeah. if you have hundreds of, if you have a million users or 10 million users that want to do a hundred million transactions a day, you need a completely different model, but you mm -hmm. also need to maintain decentralization and security. And so we yeah. really are focused on those areas like gaming and web three products that have lots of users, lots of transactions. Yeah. And, and thinking about do, giving that or working that horizontal approach, what needs to be orchestrated or what strategies need to be deployed to make sure that, okay, if we're not going to go upstream, go vertical, build for a large enterprise organization, but we need to capture a large sort of marketplace. What do you do as a founder and what, what strategies are you deploying to really kind of capture the amount that you need to, to really get the product to, to a point where it's productive and people are using it and kind of the flywheel starts to, starts to carry off on its own? Well, one, it's, it's decentralization is important for a lot of reasons. So you just, you want to be, you have, you have a lot more scalability yeah. if you really have a lot of co-ownership and like support and work from lots of people. Yeah. So like, that's one thing that's really critical. And if you look at Ethereum, I bet 50,000 people work for Ethereum, but none of them actually work for Ethereum. Like all day long, <laughs> we're out promoting and supporting and building Ethereum because they've built this like amazing open source and public good. And so scale tries to do the same thing. Number one, the number two, a lot of it's just basic. So if you have a core team or people in the community that are working at like bringing on developers, it's about sharing value proposition and like helping yeah. solve people's needs and targeting the right people and getting in touch with them. And a lot of the blocking and tackling you might see in a different type of, of yeah. in a business that comes together in a decentralized organization and, and yeah. with obvious centralized entities, like a core team helping and supporting, but you know, you've got to like, at the end of the day, there's, if you're not, if you have something that you're trying to bring to market, mm -hmm. you've got to be solving a problem for people. And then you need to approach the right people with that, yeah. at the right time with the right messaging and yeah. then have a great product that can follow through on the, on the promises. Yeah. Yeah. You're thinking about the attraction the company's seen so far. Tell us a little bit about how many people you've been able to get onto the platform. What's been particularly exciting about the products that have been being built, but what's particularly exciting about the next milestone in the journey? Yeah. You know what? There's been, we've had, we've saved over 1.25 billion in USD and gas fees on scale. That's crazy. Yeah. 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 We've had over 70 around 74 million on-chain transactions. I can give you the exact number right now. It'll be different whenever someone listens to this, but you know, around 74 million transactions and in lots of games, lots of web three products. If you go to the, you know, the scale blog, you can see a lot of the, a lot of this, but yeah, as of today, 76.3 million on-chain transactions and 1.27 billion in gas fees saved. So yeah, it's been an over 430,000 unique users in the yeah. last year of logged in and use and used an application that's running on scale, but we're, it's kind of amongst the Ethereum developer community and especially in gaming and web three, we're very well known, but yeah. we're still, I think there's just a lot of projects out there. So we're still driving, growing awareness. And it's interesting yeah. to meet people and they say, hold on, you have, you've saved 1.27 billion in gas fees. And I didn't <laughs> know who you were. And I'm like, oh, 
we're talking now. Now you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's an interesting thing when you're at the stage, right? It's like you've got the product mm -hmm. market fit. You're you're growing your customer base, and now it's just for lack of better words, you're scaling. And and a lot of that is that exposure. And how has that just been hugely impactful as a Web three company having this really kind of it's almost it's it's almost like an acceleration engine for kind of a go to market strategy. Once you hit, how has it been different from building products? prior that it wasn't as, I don't want to say as big of a community, but it, it seems like Web3 in particular has it as, as an essence of, of Yeah, you know, when part. you're doing a B2B company, you yeah. just, you just, you work so hard to have anybody even care at all that you, you write a blog post. That's it. It's like, like phenomenally different. There's just a dramatic change. And in Web3, it's because you have all these people, the tokens and yeah. Open source software, public goods, like people only. So it's not yeah. you. Yeah. And so it's just, it's a thin order of magnitude easier to, but it also to, I guess, drive, reach people and talk to people and have a community. And mm -hmm. at the same time, it's a double-edged sword because if something's delayed, you're going to hear about it. So there's right. an update that's coming. The update is coming. They'd be like, where's the update? And so, <laughs> hey, I take that any day. I, I love that, that there's people that care and they're passionate about what mm -hmm. the project does. and. It's part of the, uh, I guess, the weight of carrying, being on working in any t type of project like this. Yeah. What do you view as some of the biggest risks for the company today? You know what? I think for us, I think we're in a really, or this project is in a really strong position now in the sense that V2 lifted a year ago. Yeah. The number of transactions on chain a year ago was, we've had 70 some million now, okay. 76 okay. million. And a year ago, there was, in the first year and a half of the network history, there was a less than, probably less than 500,000 total. Yeah. And so when, you know, this next, as things just continue to progress, which they always progress, like you have to constantly be building in this type of environment and, and growing, but oh. we really, I think, got into a really strong position then. And just like, I think people just, we just have to keep executing as a community, as a project, as open source developers, as validators running the network. And then mm. clearly, Macro risk is something that everybody is dealing with. I think everyone who's watched the news lately knows, I think, so I think we have a lot of the same risk points any crypto project does, but I just hope that there's, yeah. I think we all see that there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's a lot of logic out there that points to having clear reg regulatory guidelines and win-wins for everybody, protecting consumers and people that are participating in networks, but also protecting innovation yeah. and growth. Yeah. If everything goes well, what do you view scale becoming down the line? I mean, the goal of, of, of people building in the scale network is it's really, it's a mission focused objective and to be the number one support resource for scaling Ethereum applications. Like we want to help Ethereum developers and, but not every single type of developer, but in every single type of application, but applications that are building in gaming and web three social yeah. products, lots of users. We want to, we want to go help those developers. And I think the project will be successful in it, all the various different goals. If we can just really help devs be successful. And so that's at the core team level, that's what we're really focused on. Yeah. I like this next section. I call my founder FAQ. So I'm gonna hit you with some rapid fire questions and we'll see where we get. So all right. um, I always like to start it out with what's particularly hard about your job day to day. I mean, my, the hardest part of my job is that I have way too much work to do. <laughs> I've done way too many meetings, so I just yeah. work a lot, but I, you know, it, it, it really comes down to prioritization and 
also like learning to balance your schedule and not have too many meetings so you can actually deliver. You get yeah. to I think anybody who, whether you're in a web two company or web three company, like if you're, I'm a CEO of a scale labs, right? If you're in my position, yeah. you want to be able to talk to everybody and support everybody, but you end up having meetings sometimes where people are just saying, okay, now here are the three things I need from you. I'm like, well, if I didn't have all these meetings, I could I get everything done. done. And I, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I've, I've learned, I think I've really learned how to do that well over the last couple of years, but it's definitely always a consistent challenge is just managing like a mass workload and schedule load and trying to be efficient and yeah. service people well, like give good support to your team and community and keep driving innovation. Yeah. You're thinking about your, your experience scaling companies, obviously the last company you run, you've had such an amazing growth over time, but I'm just curious to ask, was there any time the company would say at risk of whether it's closing or taking a significant hit? I don't know if you have a story about that time and, and what you did to overcome it. Yeah. Well, my first company, we started in 2008 and right in June. So the market was hot right before the <laughs> big real estate and financial collapse. And then there was the big, much even, even far scarier recession or yeah. uh, than this one, even though this one's been scary. And I think, but that was tough building through that. And there was one point where we, ra- we ended up raising our first VC round. We'd raised a couple seed rounds, but the founders, we were just not taking paychecks for a while. And we were yeah. running up our credit cards and keeping all the employees paid. And as a young, I was like in my twenties doing that. And it was like, I was scared. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, but we just, we really believed in what we were doing and you know, like put ourselves at risk and then we're able to then raise our A round and get past that. But it, it was a, a stressful experience. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Thinking about the transition, I'm not too keen on your, your, your professional history, so correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I've viewed, transition mm-hmm. from CEO, founder to, to strategic advisor, and then now building this new company, what, what goes on in that transition, seeing that you built this company up to a certain amount, kind of relinquishing some control, and then kind of getting inspired to do another pro- project? It, it, a lot of founders go through this a lot, and what, what is the conversation you're having with yourself during each time, being that you're... you're changing a lot of, of your reality that that's been the same for a while. Yeah. I think it's one of those things that as a founder, you feel like I cannot leave this company until we get sold or we go public. We have some sort of like big exit event. Yeah. And that's what I had been at my company for nine years and we had hundreds of people at that point and it was a big company. And I, I, and for me, I just, I had the itch to go start another company and yeah. I just kind of felt like I've got to go build. I've got to go start over. Like I've, I'm in this huge company now and like, <laughs> and, and I, and that's fun. But for where I was in my life, I just felt like I had yeah. this window again to go start a company. Cause when you start a company, you are working night and day, you're working insane hours. And I already had one, I had my first kid then. So I was like, oh, I better do this now before I have any more kids. And, yeah, and you know, and I, I think I had, I took almost a year to transition because as a founder, when you want to leave and go start something new, it's hard because people are saying, well, why is this person leaving their founder? And I yeah. took a lot of care and time to do it the right way, but I had to go, I felt a calling mm. to go build something. And I'm re- so glad I yeah. did because working in web three has just been a just life changing transformational thing. I'm going to work in web three the rest of my life. Yeah. Might be web four at some point or web five <laughs> we progress, but definitely in blockchain and like decentralized internet. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's going to be like versions of the iPhone. It's going to be a new one, a new version every year or a half version every other year. One follow-up question to that experience. How do you, how do you what, what advice would you give other CEOs looking to transition out the right way, being that there can have some negative PR ramifications, even not, not even meant to, to, to be so, or team morale or culture. How do you do it the right way? Yeah, it's difficult. And for me, I was co-founder and I, I ran all basically go-to-market. Yeah sales and partnerships, but I wasn't, I wasn't CEO. We had somebody else who, there was another one of my colleagues who's CEO. So it was, it was a little easier when you are in the CEO position. And, mm. and, and for a lot of, I was almost a co-CEO in a lot of ways. So it was yeah. similarly challenging, but I think the thing is just, you have to like use a lot of transparency and, and be slow and, <laughs> yeah. and Joey and I believed in the product. I believe what we we're doing, but I think people get that about founders too, that some people, you get to have time, point in time where you have a big company and you just want to go start something again. I think sure. a lot of people have empathy because not, not a lot of people want to do that. A lot of people want to join when you've got your series A or when you're at the series B and you're a little bigger and there's yeah. less risk, but there's maybe less upside. It just people kind of typically right-size companies for their risk profile and their right. excitement. And, and I think people knew how I operated. So it was all good. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, be transparent, be, give lots of time. And yeah. I think you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. What's something that you're, you're good at now as a founder that you wish you were better at earlier on? You know what? I think it's like, it's tough to let people go when you're in a leadership role. Yeah. But almost every time that you do it, you end up realizing that it's like better for both parties. Yeah. You're doing people favors and I think yeah. that's something that a lot of people, I've mentored people and people have mentored me. And it's just something that if you have empathy for people that is challenging and, but you, yeah. as you get older and more experienced, you realize, well, it's good to just do these things quickly. And you're yeah. doing everyone a favor. Yeah. yeah. People find positions where they are going to thrive instead of be challenged. It's, it's a win-win. Yeah. yeah. Thinking about Web3 and, and its evolution and see, seeing kind of it from two different lenses, right? Seeing, you mentioned you've seen this movie before. It feels like deja vu. You know, what in particular do you feel is different about this experience? Obviously, there's decentralization approach, but you know, is it the accessibility? Is it the velocity that once traction can really gain, the adoption curve can, can really be extremely fast? What in particular gets you exciting about this development in technology more than anything? I mean, the big thing is there's always going to be newer, better tech. And yeah. we see that in AI today. The AI that exists is like leaps and bounds better than the prior AI. Uh, but the thing about decentralization and blockchain is that you can't come in and just have a better technology. Yeah. Like, like Google can't come in and be like, hey, we have the world's best blockchain. And everyone's like, well, they're a public company. They have revenue goals to meet. They right. aren't just going to disintermediate themselves and like give all the money to the people and the users instead of this. Yeah. So it's, it's really tough to compete with the business model of blockchain and Web3 right now. And I think yeah. it's the biggest technical advantage is the social implications of these products. Um, yeah. Thinking about, I always like to ask this question, whether it's early in your career or now, what books or people have really had a lasting impact on you? Something that you'd like to share to other founders or, or the audience? You know what? That's a, okay. I feel like, Pat, and let's see, there's some... What are some good books to read? I mean, from, from, from like 
I think everybody has to sell. There's a really great book yeah. that Curly Micro is called Question-Based Selling. And mm. it was, you just learned about like, well, it's, you can be more impactful if you ask people questions. Yeah. How to use questions. That was really helpful. I think, I think Jing's a good book about yeah. like presence and like perspective that you can pull in actually to business. Yeah, really? Um, okay. That was a really yeah. great book. Yeah. Uh, what, 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 pers- what perspective in particular, anything, anything come to mind? I mean, it's a lot of it's just about like acceptance and like having a Zen attitude towards, towards things. And as a founder, as a business person, a CEO, a sales director, manager, engineer, whoever you are, I think you can waste a lot of energy trying to control things that are out of your control. Yeah. And so it's just, it's like really worth reading to just get a sense of like, okay, like you've got to learn to flow with things, but also figure out where you, what you can control and then bring your best to it. And, and it's a deep book that is, I think it doesn't tell you exactly how to use these like kernels of knowledge. You have to figure it out. It's one of the interesting things, but if you do that, you'll have a lot more, I think like I have a lot more of a, like, I'd say intelligent and perspective towards what you're doing. That is like not emotionally driven. It's you basically yeah. learn to manage your own emotions better to do optimize where you are in different work situations. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. You're thinking about Web3 in addition to, to scale. What, what's a te- piece of technology that's being worked on or a product that's being worked on that, that, that you would or are curious about where, where it's going to go or particularly a fan of outside of scale and Ethereum and, and what's part of your ecosystem? Anything outside of that that you're particularly keeping yeah. an eye on and, and excited yeah. about? I'm really excited about the the use of AI in blockchain, especially for engineering yeah. and like finding gaps in Solidity code and building things faster. And my, my prediction is we're going to build, we're going to have 10 times the number of applications built for Web3 in one year, then or in this next year from now, then we built in the last year yeah. from this day. And it's because developers, engineers, QA people are all, they're able to, especially on small teams, they're able to build so much faster. Yeah. And there's so many, there's so much great tooling out there. And so these AI products are just going to really power web three in like a yeah. dramatic way. And it's going to be fun to see like AI products integrated with blockchain products, but the yeah. build piece is happening like right now. Yeah. Well, what's it, what do you think in particular in terms of how people are going to, I guess, have different relationships with these different, whether it's scale labs and your network or some ter- certain applications? Will you see a lot more collaboration between products and service and companies that we hadn't seen before, just being that people now have the choice to opt into certain communities? If, if I'm a business, I'm thinking about how can I not have this individual leave my community? I'm thinking about retention. Do you think a lot about that or is that getting involved in the system in terms of companies and products working together? Yeah, I think, I think it's already happening. It's one of the beauties of Web3 is that yeah. like, we're even like our, somebody in our I think someone was trying to reach out to L2Beat or something for a while. And then one of our developers just submitted a pull request for an integration and then their developer looked at it and accepted it. And you know, they talked on <laughs> GitHub and it's like so efficient because they're able to look at, they're able to look at our code. We're able to look at their code and yeah. just say, oh, okay, great. And boom, open the ve- beauty of open source. It's just so much easier. <laughs> when, and in traditional software, you have to like make all these agreements. You only have these pieces you share with the other company yeah. and you're hiding things and in this world you're just able to share everything and yeah. so i just think it's already that's already happening and it's probably will just get even more and more open and and yeah. synergistic yeah 
Jack, I know we're coming to the end of the show and it's been such a pleasure chatting with you and not only discussing your early career, but also scaling what you're working on now. Last little bit, as I always like to ask, is there any question I, I didn't ask you that I should have anything that we left on the table here today? I just say one thing at scale, it's a, we announced levitation protocol recently, yeah. which will be an integration of zero knowledge proofs to scale. So check that out. That's something I'm pretty excited about. And But otherwise, no, great, great questions. And it was really fun. Amazing, Jack. It's been such a pleasure having you on the show. I hope you enjoyed yourself. And thank you again for being on Behind Company Lines today. Thank you. Of course.